Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Got your Bibles tonight. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. I'm going to help Sister Staten out and clarify that the unity thing is indeed in July, not in June. I think it's the second time Pastor has announced June. I think he's in a hurry to get something going. He's, he's pretty excited about it. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1. How many of you got your Bibles? Amen. Maybe during this time we'll do some teaching on the Word of God. Amen. Amen. The need. Brother Robert's a little old school, likes to carry a Bible with him wherever he goes. Used to have one all over the place. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above principality and power. Sorry, you got to back up and read that correctly. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but in that which is to come. And he, gave, and he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Amen. God bless you. You can put your Bibles down. Get your notepads out, maybe just a little bit. I want to talk to us tonight about being the church. Now, some of you are going to say, well, Brother Roberts, I've been in this thing for a minute. I, I, kind, of, I kind of get the idea of what it means to be the church. But I want to maybe approach it from a little bit different aspect or vantage point tonight. So let me ask you a question. What comes to mind, what image is there in your mind when I say church. For some of us, it's the building. For others, we think of pastor or someone else. And for maybe even a lot of people, when someone says church, we think of people. Maybe even it goes a step further. Some of some folks, you say, what do you think about when you think about the church, though maybe it's an experience or some particular event that happened in the past or something that we're looking forward to. And so, Whatever it is that you think or I think, what I'm certain of, what I'm sure of is that every one of us views the church differently. Every, everybody does. Now, you you got you to kind of get that. I, I'm going to view the church differently than pastor does. And pastor's going to have a, a different imagery of the church than I do. And you're going to have a different image of the church than we do. And it's much of it is based on our experience and, and, and how we relate to the church. 
and that there's, there's so much that goes into that makeup. And so the Bible has a lot to say about the church, and I'm not, I don't want to run down a rabbit hole to just begin my teaching tonight, but the church isn't always the easiest thing to understand in the Scripture. But I, I want to go down one point here and let you know that for certain, the, the world views the church differently than we do. Amen? How many of you believe that the world looks at the church and they have a different vantage point or a different viewpoint than you do, than I do, right? But in the Bible, the Apostle Paul refers to uh, several times in the New Testament the mystery of the church. And certainly, the, I, I believe that the, to the world, the church is very mysterious. And, and sometimes, oftentimes, I would go so far as to say that the church is mysterious even to the church. So what are you talking about, man? I'm talking about this. The Lord wants us to understand what his perspective of the church is. First of all, because it's his church. He's the one that purchased it. He's the one who died. He's the one who gave his life for it. And so the Lord wants the church to know what the church is supposed to look like. And he wants the church to know what it should look like and what it should be. And sometimes... We just know what it is. How many of you see sometimes there's a, a break in sometimes in what the church is and what maybe the church should be? Maybe there's a little bit of difference sometimes in what, you know, the church ought to be and what the church was, right? The old timers used to say, you know, I, I, maybe I'm not what I, what I should be, but, you know, maybe I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I was, right? Uh, I was given a book many years ago. Uh, I probably read parts of it, not sure I read all of it. The title of the book was Marriages Are Not Made in Heaven. But I would tell people, uh, anyone listening tonight, that the church is not made in heaven. Now, the church is supposed to be making us ready for heaven, and the church is supposed to be getting people ready for heaven, but the church is not heavenly. Amen? Bishop used to say, pinch that stuff because it's flesh, and there's a lot of flesh in the church. And so the Lord really wants us to understand. He wants us to know what he thinks, what he believes, or what he purposes the church to be. So let me start by telling you maybe what the church is not. So I'm going to give you four false pictures here of the church. Give me that second slide there, Sister Simone. These distorted images. The first one, some people see the church as a gas station. Church, just this place you go and fill up your spiritual gas tank when you're running low and you get a good sermon, come on, you get something to get you through for the week, makes you feel better about yourself, right? Anybody remember the old full-service full service stations? Anybody ever go to one, right? You drive up there and little, you drive over the little hose and it goes ding, 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 right? That's, you know, it's almost sometimes like some people come into church and you hear the ding, ding, I'm here, preacher, fill her up. Oh, oh, hey, I'm here. I'm here, worship team. Can you check the oil? I'm here, preacher. Get the, make sure you get the windows and don't forget the tires. We definitely want to be safe out there in life. But can I tell you that nothing in church shows any imagery even close to the church of the living God being a filling station, a modern-day quick stop, a place where you can refuel and grab a snack and get back on the road of life. That's not the imagery, but sometimes... If we're not careful, 
I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about us. If we're not careful, the church can be a sheets or a wah-wah, and we can just kind of drive through and get a fill-up and get a donut and back in the car and away we go, right? The second distorted image I would tell you tonight is that some people treat the church like it's a movie theater. Never probably more so than in the last couple of months when we've all been watching it at home on television, right? But for some people, the church is this ultimate place of entertainment. Now, just to be fair, I mean, church is entertaining. I can't sit in the back because I would backslide, but in the few opportunities I've had to sit in the back, I think you could probably get a cup of coffee and some popcorn and watch people in church. Yeah, that's entertainment. I mean, it really is, you know. There's some things that we can just depend on happening in church. And so entertainment and information have become this identity of culture for for us today. And the result is the church has become this place where we go for an hour or two of escape. Hopefully we get comfortable seats, right, you know, another check in the box, gas, gym, bank, groceries, cut the grass, go to church. Just one more thing on the list of things that we do. Come into the church, leave your problems at the door, come out smiling, feeling better about yourself. You know, when you go in, you get in there, popcorn, donuts, candy, door prizes. What could be better than that? My goodness, church is all about going to the movies. I mean, we have even gotten to the point where we advertise ahead when we're going to have something special, just like the theaters. Brother Robert's having a little fun. The third image portrays the church as a drugstore. Oh, my goodness, right? The church is viewed as this alternative place where you can fill your prescription. Another means of dealing with the agony and the pains of everyday life. The first church of the therapeutic. Come on, I got to get to church. I got to get to the altar. I got to get my massage and my Holy Ghost wash down. It's the place where... You know, Dr. Mom can misdiagnose every malady and can prescribe their own cures. You know, it's a place we come to feel better about ourselves. Can I tell somebody that, the, you know, there's no self-diagnosis in the church, right? Where we, you know, everybody, everybody wants to come to church, but never been, no, they don't want to really find a cure. The church was never intended to be a place where we learn to cope with sin, learn to deal with failure. It's not intended to be a place of therapy. It's supposed to be a place of healing and deliverance. But a lot of people come to church week after week after week, and they leave exactly the way they came. Why? Because give me another pill, Pastor. Give me another feel-good sermon. Give me another something that makes me feel good about myself. That's what the church is for me. You do that, I'll trade you. I got a a fresh 20. I might even put a bin in there if you preach a really good sermon. And you're all going, Brother Roberts, we'd never do that. And the truth is probably all of us have some distorted imagery in our mind that falls in line with some of these pictures. The fourth one, the church is a big box retailer. People see the church as a place that offers the best products for the greatest value in a clean and safe environment. We even sanitized and what? And disinfected. The entire place before you came in. The church offers all of these great services at a low price. One-stop shopping. What an experience for you, right? 
That's what the church has become, a program for children, a place for young people and couples get together where everything we need, can I just make it one more time? I can go to Baptomart or Penta Target. I can get to my... Yes, I made those up. But the reality is we're not going to find any of these pictures of the church in the Bible because they're all distorted imagery of humanity. And what they have in common, the one thing that all of these distortions, all of these images that are anti-God, anti that, that the world has portrayed and that we have, to at least some extent, most of us have bought into, is that they're all about me. Fill me up. Entertain me. Take away my pain. Give me a program. Do something for my family. Meet all of the needs that I'm looking for. And so these are all pictures of consumerism that it's not surprising. It's what our world is, how we operate. It's the pervasive mindset of a culture. And if we're not careful, it just begins to creep in. And we get separated for a few moments, for a, a few months away from the church. And the church is somehow not nearly as important as it was. I mean, come on, I can find toilet paper. Let's be real. Let's be honest about this, right? But there are just a couple, and I really want to spend my time tonight on two specific pictures, two real pictures of the church that we find in Scripture. Certainly there are many, many more, but I want to, I want to just deal with a couple of them. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. The Bible says this, now you are, turn to your neighbor, don't touch him, just point at him. Say, you are the body of Christ. Don't forget the last part, and members individually. The New Living Translation says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Another translation says that you are members in particular. And I think part of the issue with how people see the church today is hindered because people do not want to lose their individuality. I want to be free to do what I want to do. I want to, you know, that's the, you do you and I'll do me, right? But here, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read from a different translation than probably what they'll have on the screen there. Here's what he says, and you know this scripture. This is a little bit different translation. He says, from him... The whole body, and we're talking now about the church being the body of Christ, is fitted and held together by every supporting ligament. And each individual part does its work. The body grows and builds itself up in love. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. The King James says, don't walk like the Gentiles do in the vanity of their mind. The English language gives two definitions for vanity, and the first one deals with uh, excessive pride or what someone's accomplished. But the second one, the second definition for futility, and I think what is being portrayed here in Scripture, the, the, the word futility means useless or futile. And so when something is futile, it accomplishes nothing. And so if we're, not, if we're not careful, we end up in this place where he said the Gentiles, they had futile thinking or useless thinking. They didn't really grasp the big picture. They didn't understand what this was all about. And so they 
considered everything to be all about me and all about my needs and all about what I'm doing. And so as we begin to read in Ephesians chapter 1 in our text, Paul said, I want you to understand that the eyes of your understanding, they need to be enlightened. There needs to be some illumination because if you're not careful, we can bring the old lifestyle into the new lifestyle. And, and the result is that church is just about me and all about me and all of these things. But the reality is, and we know this, you know this, that we are the body of Christ. But sometimes we don't really understand the why. I can tell you that we're the body of Christ and you'd agree with it. But the reality is this imagery of the world that has propagated itself, right? The Bible tells us to bring every thought into subjection, which exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How does Brother Robert say that? Every thought that I have that makes itself higher than what I know to be true about Jesus Christ, I've got to bring that into subjection. Because there are thoughts in my mind that lift them about what, above what I know to be true about the Word of God. And it happens for every one of us. So look, at, look with me in, in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what Paul says, the why. He says, and what is the exceeding greatness? This is what you need to be enlightened about. The exceeding greatness of his power to us word, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The reason that we need a right mindset, a right image of this church is because the, the power of God is in the church. He says it's incomparably great power. Now, we know this. I, I don't have to convince you of this, that there's no power that's greater than the power of God. It's not like any other power. But the reality is Satan has power. Temptation has real power. Sin has power. And government has power. We know that media has power, right? But God's power is completely different altogether. It's on a whole other level. Paul says it's incomparably great. I was trying to think, okay, so if you're using a, a double adjective, you're trying to describe something that you really can't wrap, wrap around super flagellus, right? We used to, some of you go back and look that up. That was when I was a kid, right? But it's so, it's so incomparably great, and the power is for us who believe. So the King James calls it power that has exceeding greatness. Other translations describe this great power as surpassing or immeasurable greatness. But in every translation, there's not just one descriptive term, but there's more than one. And so the Greek word that is used for exceeding or surpassing or immeasurable is the Greek word hooperballo. Now, there will be a test on this later. It comes from two words, hooper and balo. And the first means to throw over. And the second means to go beyond or further than anything else is capable of. Now, I want you to understand something. When you start talking about the power of God, it's so immeasurable and it's so great that you can't just use a word to describe it. They had to take two words and put them together and try to attempt to describe how great it is. And so he said the power is so great that it can throw further than anything can be thrown. It's able to go beyond or further than anything else. We know this. Nothing can compare with the power of God. It goes beyond. It goes further than any power can go, right? And so whether we've got this inaccurate image of the church or we're able to really truly see how, how great God's power is, this is why a lot of people come to church and leave the same way they came in. Because in our humanity, we reduce the power of God to be equal to the power of man. 
I just want to come in. I, I just want to come in. It's Wednesday night, Brother Roberts. I just want a wah-wah. I just want to go slip in and get me one of them cheap sheets coffees, you know, fill up the tank. I, I just need a new pill from the pharmacy. You know, come on. I want an action flick. We want pastor to yell and sweat, you know. And, and if we're not careful, we're reducing the power of God to just another big box retailer. We, you know, Walmart, I'm sorry, I know you prefer Target, but whatever it is, we reduce it to that. And what you need to know, that this immeasurable power, this great power of God is not given to a, a person, not given to any one person. It's not even given to a group of people, but this is an us power. He said it's given to us word, all right? And so what we need to understand is that there's something greater that happens in a collective body of believers that doesn't happen when you're by yourself. In the Greek, this is written in the first person plural point of view. So, so what does that mean? It means that Paul is telling the story and he uses we instead of me or I. And so there's no individual identified here. To be grammatically correct, the writer is a member of the group that is acting as a unit. So when Paul is saying, listen, what you got to understand, this power is hooperbalo. It's able to go further and beyond and more powerful. It's so immense that I can't describe it with just one word. It's so powerful that I've got to use a double adjective just to even try. But he said, listen, you got to understand, it's not just given to a person, but I'm giving this to the church. I'm giving this immeasurable power, this surpassing power to the body. It's not given to me. That's why we can't have a me mindset, but it's given to us. I'm trying to help somebody understand the why. It's because we need the power that's available to the body. Well, I got a prayer life. Well, good for you. You ought to have a prayer life, and you ought to have some power with God. But what you really have to understand is that together we have a lot more power. Together, we're going to have a greater impact. Together, we're able to do a lot more than we can do alone. If one will put a 1,000 to flight, two will put, right? We understand that, right? We understand the principle in the Scripture. If two or three agree together in my name, right? This is the power that was given to the church. This is not a big box retail place. This is not where I come to get my fix or my donut or my coffee or fill up the tank or wash the window. This is not what that is. They, listen, there are all kinds of churches in the community that can do that. But we must be the kind of church who has the power of God to impact and change lives. As long as the church is just a filling station, the journey continues, but nothing important ever changes. I'm talking to people that are here tonight, and you've been coming year after year, month after month, week after week, and nothing in your life is changing. It's not progressing. The problem is you're not, you're not getting the big picture. It's all about you, and as long as it's about you, there's never going to be the power to change. But when we link together as brothers and sisters, as a body, right, working together, right? The knee bone connected to the shin bone, right? The connected to the foot bone enables us to stand up and have the power of God collectively working. Listen, if we just want entertainment, there won't be any power. You can watch on a Sunday that the worship starts at the front and kind of fades as it gets back. It's quieter back here. We want to sit back here. 
So I had to pick on the back row folk. You can get mad at me if you want to, but I'm telling you the truth. The power has to be collective. The power has to be a body power. I, 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 I would be upset if I had a, a, a little toe that wouldn't work. Just a little toe. You know, if, if I come in just dragging a leg, you'd say, what's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm in the church. What's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm in the church. Why? Because that power is not for an individual. That power works when we get together in unity. See, we have to understand this is not a drugstore where symptoms are treating. This is a place where the power of God is present to heal. But as long as it's about me and about what I want and what I need, then the power is not released. Listen, we understand, right? He commanded his blessing in the place of unity. He said he commanded. Go back and read it in the Psalms. It's the place, the only place where God commanded blessing was in unity. And so when we get together, well, why is it important that I preach with the preacher? Why? Because together we're both releasing the power of the word. It's not just the preacher who's preaching, but when I stand up and go amen and I clap and I'm letting all of heaven know, oh, listen, you've got to get the picture here. When, when pastor's preaching and I'm clapping, I'm not getting anything extra for clapping. He's not giving me an extra pat on the back. He's not doing anything. No, no, why? I'm not just supporting him. I'm supporting the word of God. I'm supporting the powerful anointed. I'm trying to release the power. When the praise singers are singing, I want to sing. And if you get next, next to me, you've probably heard me. I sing too loud every time. I know. It's all right. Why? Because I don't want them to do it for me because together they're doing their part. But together, we're releasing that power, that anointing. Why? Because the, the Bible said when the praise is coming, what the old song right said, the, the, the anointing. I want the anointing to come down, but it comes down when it's no longer about me. But how can it not be me when I'm late for church and I've got something to do and I've got... Listen, there's an imagery that the church has to get. There's a visual imagery that we've got to get. This is not about me getting my stuff and getting out. This is not having a clean card or getting my seat. This is not about me. This is more about the body, and my body has to. If I woke up this morning and my foot refused to work, I would be really upset with my foot. Really upset. I am the body. You are the body, and we need each other so much, right? Amen? The second picture that I want to share with you, since God's power is without compare and because it's so surpassingly great and it can't be associated with anything else, Paul gives us a little bit further example of his power at work. In verse 20, he says it this way of Ephesians chapter 1, like the working of the mighty strength which he exerted, the King James which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I like the, the wording, right, when he raised him, he exerted in Christ. The power that raised Christ from the dead is for us who believe. So not only did God raise Jesus from the dead, but he seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all the rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's going to be named in this age and those to come. I really wish we could kind of grasp what, what, what's really going on here. You, when, when, 
when Paul says God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. So back up just one step. Why did he raise him from the dead? Why did he seat him at the right hand of heaven? Why has everything been placed under his feet, right? Here, look at, look at verse 22 and verse 23. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything to the church. Other translations said that he raised him up and gave him to be head over all things for the church. And so there's some imagery here that the Bible uses to show us that the church, the body of Jesus Christ, is so distinct, it's so powerful that God raised him up not for the purpose of just giving him authority, but he gave him authority for the church. I want somebody to get that. He gave him to be head over the church. He gave him the power and the authority over every principality, over every power. He gave him a name that's above every name. So no name could ever be lifted above his name, but he had one purpose, and that purpose was for the church. I know, say, Brother Roberts, you, you said that like three times. I want to say it ten more times. He did it for the church. What are you saying? I'm telling you that when we come to church and we don't have a move of God, we're not doing something right because he gave all of that power. He gave all. When we come to church and people aren't getting delivered and people aren't getting healed, and we're, there's, listen, there's a problem not with the head, but there's a problem with the body. And the problem with the body is because he gave him, he made him to be head over everything for the church, not for the world. I know the world's got this imagery. Oh, I can just go get my little pill. I can get my fix on. But we should not have that imagery. He let him be head over everything for the church. And if I am part of the church, then that power has got to come through me. And as long as it's about me, that power is not going to flow. But when I can set aside my agenda, Somebody hear what I'm saying tonight. When I set aside what I want and how I feel and what I think and what I believe ought to be done and how I think it ought to be, well, I can lay aside all of that junk and begin to say, listen, I'm just part of the body. And he put me in, he fitly framed me. He put me in the specific place that he wants me to be, and I'll be there until he moves me to a different place. That's when the power begins to flow. What are you talking about, Brother Rose? I'm talking about it doesn't matter if we're in a 10 o'clock in a noon service or all in one service, but if we come in and we can say, you know what, Jesus, this isn't about me. This is about the body, and I want to I want to get in touch with what the head's doing. I want to make sure I'm getting communication from the head. When it begins to work together, you're going to see a flow. You're going to see an anointing. You're, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the reason we're not more effective in the church is too much is about us and not enough about him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the whole body, including the head, has to work together. Paul uses that imagery. But in Ephesians chapter 1, there's just a little bit different picture. Christ is the head and we are the body. Right? You get it. The hand, the foot, the eye, the ear, they all have distinct roles, right? And the main point is that we need each other. Here's what one writer, D.A. Carson, said. He said, if the church is a bride, then Christ must be the bridegroom. If the church is a flock, 
then Christ must be the shepherd. If the church is the temple, then Christ has to be the builder, the foundation, and the cornerstone. And so there's no such thing in the New Testament church as a Christless church. What are you talking about? I said, I'm going to tell you like this. There's no, let me put it just a little bit different here. There's no such thing as a headless body in the church. No such thing. Don't lose your head. Say, man, you're crazy. No, no, I'm talking about a lot of people come to church, but it's all about their agenda and their timing and what they've got going on. And so here's some realities, whether in the physical sense or the spiritual sense, the same principles apply. The body, the whole body is directed by the head, right? We know, I, I remember, it's been, a, it's been a few decades now, but I remember the central nervous system controls everything, right? Right? The head acts through the body and the body, right? It derives life out of the head and all the stuff without the head. The body is lifeless. I don't care how many horror movies you watch, right? Brother Wilson, give me a hand a second. Just bend over slowly and pick that up for me. Slowly, thank you. Maybe a little faster, but that's fine. Can y'all see that? Do it up here where they can see. Just pick it up. I want, I want, that's amazing. Thank you, Brother Wilson. He did, he did, give him a hand. He did a great job. <laughs> Do you ever think about what happens when Brother Wilson picked up the pen? I mean, I know I told him what to do, but the direction to pick up the pen went through his head. The desire from the head was communicated down through the body to the members of the body, and they all collaborated together to fulfill the command to bend over, right, right? And to, the thumb had to press against the fingers and form the grip, and the arms had to lift, and the pen had to come up, and, right? And the head acts, and, and then there was that action where he smiled at me, like, thank you for embarrassing me and making me look stupid in front of everybody, right? But all of that works through the head. And so if that's true, if every action of the body is coming through the head, then how come there's so many different things going on in the body at one time? Why? Because there's a headless body. There's a lot of folks that come into church and they're not connected to the head. What are you talking about, Brother Roberts? I'm talking about this. If you look around and everybody's lost in the Holy Ghost and you're not, there might be a problem. I'm not just because pastors said, let's all lift our hands and pray, right? But if you're the only one or you're the only 10 or the only 12 who aren't worshiping when everybody else is lost in the Holy Ghost, then there's probably a disconnect somewhere and the body, part of the body is not connected to the head. And so the analogy of the head working through the body tells us that in order for Christ, right, he united himself to the people and he chooses, listen to me, he chooses to conduct his work in the world through local bodies. Verse 23 says it this way, the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, or he filleth all in all. The, the etymology of this Greek word uses this fullness in a, past, a passive sense. So it speaks about something that has already been done. 
And so when, when he says this fullness that fulfills or fills everything in every way, this thing, I want you to understand, he's speaking about something that has already been done or already been filled. See, we get this wrong. I, I know you're filming, Brother Brad. I apologize. I want to come down and teach a little bit. But we get this so wrong. We think that we got to come to church and get something. We're just so convinced in our mind that this is consumerism. And I got to come into the house of God and I got to get something. Pastor's going to give me something. Brother Robert's going to give me something. Sister Staten's, somebody's going to give me something. I got to come to church and I got to get something. That is not a biblical perspective on the body, right? The body consumes something and it turns it into fuel, right? And so not everybody is going to be in the same place. Some of you ate tonight, some of you haven't, some of you are waiting on the treat, some of you are, you know, so, uh, everybody's a little bit different. And some, some people, your stomach's growling, your neighbor thinks you know you got gas, I don't know what's going on. There's all kinds of things going on in the body, right? And some of them, right, it's all, do not do that to your neighbor, it's not polite. Just say excuse me. In order for this to be already written in a passive sense, it's speaking to something that's already happened. Let me, let me show you. In the classic sense, he would speak about a ship that has, been, has been already been filled, so it's already manned with sailors and rowers and soldiers. But in the New Testament, it's speaking of a body of believers that has already been filled with the presence and the power and the anointing of an almighty God. We, we, we've got this thing, we've got the imagery wrong. We feel like we come in here. Listen, the power of God, this immeasurable power, this uncontrollable power, this, this hooper ballo that goes beyond anything that we can imagine or anything we can do, it's already been put into the church. And sometimes we come in and go, man, we need a move of God. We, no, no, no. Well, listen, all we've got to get is unity. All we've got to get is on the same page. All we've got to get is connected because the power, according to the word of God, because he, what, he fulfills all in all. It's already all there waiting on us. In the New Testament, the body of believers, we're the ones that are filled with the presence and the power and the riches of Jesus Christ. And we're the ones, right? This, the concept that Jesus Christ came to save the, save the whole world is a great concept. But the reality is he's only going to save the church. Newsflash. One more to go with the 30 million we've had. Everybody's not going in the rapture. All dogs don't go to heaven. All people that die ain't making it in. Understand what I'm saying. That power has already been given to the church. But if you and I could wake up on Sunday morning and say, you know what? I'm not going to get, I'm going to give. I'm not going to get, I'm going because I am a part of the body. I'm not going just because I need something. I'm not going to find toilet paper or napkins or something else. I'm going because I'm part of the body of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go plug in and I'm going to do my part so that the hooper ballo, so that the power and the anointing of Almighty God can come down. But as long as we come in the back door and go, oh, oh, 
man, I've been through hell on earth this week. I need something from God. It's not about you. If you will plug in and begin to do your part and lay aside the weight and the sin and everything that's holding you back, you will see that power of God begins to flow through the body because the body edifies itself in love. It builds itself up. It'll cure and heal and deliver and set you free. But when you come in focused on what you have got to have, what I need, you're never going to get it because it's all about you. Oh, I can't do that, Pastor. I can't do that. I can't. Oh, that's just not me. I can't do that. No, no. Quit. You got to stop. You got to change your imagery. You got to tear that photo up. You got to treat it like the old boyfriend and tear him off the photo and throw it away and get you a new picture. Put it on your iPhone. Put it out there for you. You've got to understand there's a power that's been released on the body. It's the power of God. It comes through the church. How many of you ever been in a service with lots and lots and lots of apostolic believers? And there's such great anointing, such great power there. You know why? Why? Because the power is already there. It's not because somebody prayed over that meeting. Sure, I'm sure that helps. But the power is there because there is a unified group of people that are desiring to hear from God. And in a local congregation on Living Hope, whether it's at 10 o'clock or noon, whether there's 75 people or 100 people, if we'll come in on a Sunday and say, you know what, I'm just going to plug in. I want to hear from God. I'm not here to get. I'm here to give. I'm here to worship. I'm here to lay down. I'm here to sacrifice. I'm here to give. The power of God would be released. Let me ask you a tough question. If Jesus Christ committed himself to working through the church. Hear what I'm saying. If he committed himself, he said, listen, I've got, I'm God. I've got all power. I'm elevated above everything. I'm, I'm over everything and anything. There's no power greater than my power. He has the ability to do anything he wants to do. But he said, I'm going to limit myself to work through the church. Then let me ask you this question. Why won't you? If Jesus focused his energy, his strength on building the church, why aren't we doing the same? If Jesus loves the church more than anything else, why don't we love her too? If the church is so important to the creator of heaven and earth, why isn't it as important to us? Why don't we want to be doing what he's doing? The power is already there. It's a passive voice. It's already, it's already filled. It's already in the church. But the church has to come to a place where the church can release the power. Right? Brother Wilson could have looked at that pen all day, but until he actually bent over and picked it up, it would never come off the floor because pens can't fly. Right? Understand that, right? And somebody said, well, you know, I... I don't want to limit myself. I, I'm just doing my own thing for Christ, right? But is that really what Jesus Christ wants you to do? Does he want you to do your own thing? Or does he want you to participate in the activity of the body? I know humanity says, I don't want to get tied up with the church. You know, it's, 
I, I don't want to, you know, the church is, you know, it's just a, it's too restricting. There's just too much. I, 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 got, I, got, I just got things I got to do. And it's all about me. And it's what humanity says, right? But isn't that exactly what the God of creation has chosen to do? He tied himself to the activity of the church. The glorious head, that magnificent, powerful head of all creation, right, joined himself to a feeble body. How many of you are over 50? Honest. Don't raise your hand. You're not. How many of you, when you some of you, you're on your way. When you get there, you'll figure some things out. Somebody said that the heart is willing, but the flesh is just not going to do it anymore. There are a lot of things that I, I know how to do. I just don't have the energy to do them anymore. And so there's a disconnect sometimes in me, in, in what I can do and, how, and how, how I can do it. But let me just give you one last little bit about this. It isn't because the church can't. It's because we're disconnected from the head. I can get so caught up in what I'm doing during a service that I don't hear the command through the nervous system, through the Holy Ghost, to get involved in what the body's doing. And I know some of you won't agree with me, right? But you got to get this point. The church is where God chooses to display his glory in the earth. The church. All the power he's given it, all the authority he's given it, all of that, it doesn't work individually. It only works, it only works when we're working together. But it's where he's chosen to present his glory in the earth. Because the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, anybody get the togethers there? That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. There's that same word, hooperbalo, right? In the kindness toward us in or through Jesus Christ. And so when Paul's talking again about this exceeding riches, he's trying to explain somebody, you know, they're focused in the same place. It's always an us-word focus. He displays his glory in the church. I think a lot of people, Pastor, know about God. A lot of people know God. They might even love God, appreciate God. But nobody should know the Lord like we know the Lord. Nobody should appreciate the things of God like we appreciate the things of God. Because the people that I know that talk about God, that, you know, I know they don't go to church and they don't know the Lord like I know the Lord, he hasn't done for them what he's done for me. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the glory of God is on display in this room every time the doors open and you walk in and I walk in. Because for the people outside those doors that aren't part of the church, not just Living Hope, but the church, he hasn't forgiven their sin. I know what the world says. Oh, it's okay. God understands and he loves people. No, no, no. He hasn't forgiven their sins. The glory of God's in display every time we baptize somebody in the name of Jesus for the payment of sin, that remission of sin. It's on direct display. 
the glory of God shines down and out through the world through us as believers. But if I make it about me and say, man, you know, I used to do this and I used to do this and I used to do that, then it's all about me. But when that imagery changes and say, God delivered me from this and God delivered me from that and God delivered me from that, right? Now it's all about him. And so when we get together, you get to understand there's such a powerful anointing of God that is only represented in the church. It doesn't come anywhere else. It doesn't go to the White House. It doesn't go to Congress. It doesn't go to those meetings. Those people, those congressmen and senators, they can argue all they want. They can be right. They can be wrong. But they're never going to feel the power and presence of God that you feel on a given Sunday morning at Living Hope. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. He said, you know what? I'm going to create and build me a church, an organism, and I am going to make myself the head over that church. And you are all members in particular. Well, I don't want to lose my individuality. You're not losing your individuality. You're just one part of the body. Remember that word? If, if the eye shall say because I'm not the ear, hello? That's, that's not individuality. You're, you're still the eye. You're not the ear. You're not supposed to hear. You're supposed to see. Do what God has put you in the body to do. Because I promise you this, when God begins to get the glory, God will move you around in the body and position you. Why? Because he is a master carpenter who's fitly framing this thing together. But it, listen, the power to see the lost saved, the power to see people filled with the Holy Ghost, it's already present when we get together. Why? Because it was in the upper room when he poured out the Holy Ghost, those 120 people who gathered together, they were in one mind and one accord, and suddenly that place was filled, what, with a sound from heaven. That, 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 passive, that passive voice that Paul was talking about, he said it's already there. We just have to expose it. I don't know, man. I like Baptomart. I mean, you know, blue light special. It's just my jam, Pastor. I, you know, I am the church. I am the body. I am the representation of the glory of Jesus Christ. Brother James, he forgave my sins 30-some years ago, and this afternoon, and this morning, and yesterday, right? He delivered me from a lot of things years ago, and he's still delivering me from things now. I'm still part of the body. I still want to plug in. I still, why? Because I can come to church, and as long as it's about me, I can miss what's happening in the spiritual realm because it's about me. But when I come and I plug in and say, you know what? I don't care if I get to be the little toe or the big toe. I don't care if I'm a finger or a fingernail. I don't care if I'm a, just a speck of flesh or an eyelash. Just let me be a part of the body. Just let me be where the power's going to fall. Just let me be where the hooper ballo is. Let me be where it's going to to go beyond because I'm not going to get changed where I'm at. But there's a beyond. There's something that's greater. There's something that's more powerful. It's in the body. 
I've got to have the body. That's why I said don't forsake that assembling of yourselves. Don't stop getting together with the body because there's power and anointing that breaks the yoke and the chain and the fetter and the curse when the body gets together. Turn to somebody and say, I'm the body. I'm the body. Well, I don't know what part I am. That's me, that's me mentality. It doesn't matter what part you are. I didn't wake up this morning. I didn't get a text message on my phone. My pinky finger did not say, I'm tired of being the pinky finger. I never got a text message. It doesn't. It's not how it works. It's a me mentality. But it's got to be an us mentality. Pastor, you're not preaching alone. Worship team, you're not worshiping alone, right? Altar service, you're not alone. I'm part of the body. I'm going to respond when the body responds. Why? Because there's got to be an action. I've got to bend over and focus and do what the head is saying because I am part of the body. We want to see the lost saved. We want to see that 10,000 soul revival. It comes when we get to the place when we get to the place where there's no more me mentality. Now, I, 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 just, I just can't do that. That's just not me. No, no, that's, that's a me mentality. It's a we mentality. What do you need me to do? What can I do? How can I get involved? How? Well, I don't want to, you're not limiting yourself. You're limiting yourself by not being involved in the body. Stand with me. I have no earthly idea what time it is. Praise God. Lift a hand with me. Father, I pray. I, I bind the imagery of this world. I bind the distorted imagery of the church. God, expose us. Help us to see how great, how miraculous, how powerful the body is. Lord, help me to go beyond myself. Help me to be in that place where the power and the anointing falls. Let me, God, engage myself. Help me to be in the purpose and the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, help me to come in not focused upon my needs and my, my issues, but focused upon the body and upon what you want to do on any given time. God, help me to be connected in Jesus' name. Lord, I plead the blood over every heart and every mind. I rebuke, Lord, that distraction of the word a distraction of the flesh that pulls us away. I want to be a part of the body. Help me, Lord, to be a part of your great body. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So